ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I can hardly speak, my heart is beating so, and anyone can tell, you think you know me well, but you don't know me. Oh, it's like having Lady Day in the studio. Oh, it is, isn't it? what a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Virginia Trioli and welcome to You Don't Know Me, the podcast in which I ask some of Australia's biggest names seven big questions. Now, this is a story that is very private, the thing that sort of wakes me up in the night sometimes. Oh, dear. This episode, I'm giving you a peek behind the curtain with the fabulous Kate Seberano, a lifetime of music, 40 years of performing and now a 30th album. Kate Seberano, serious congratulations on this new record. I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you I know of no artist that sets out to make the definitive album. (laughs) (laughs) I think audiences and fans alike will will create a sort of like a sports amongst themselves to name which was their best and which is the most important. But I don't know of any artist just as secure enough in themselves to say, yeah, that was the one. And yeah. Is this the one though? Could it be? Okay. This is the probably the only one that I've listened through many times over. It's taken four years to make. Oh, wow. Um, and it's had a COVID lockdown in between, which completely changed me as a human, as it did pretty much everyone else that lived through that experience. And uh, I realised you can outsource genius, as I did with Roscoe James Irwin. <laughs> and and also you can outsource talent, which I've done with the MSO. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I can just simply bob along like a cork in an ocean. It's not outsourcing. It's actually joining all those geniuses and talents together because you've taken your great songs and you've turned them, well, not symphonic, but sometimes jazzy, but sometimes something else. And, and it sounds like you've had a ball. Well, the main thing was, as I sat through COVID, I got to see a lot of movies, as a lot of people did. <laughs> I got to study my craft from inside ah, and I got to be external as a fan, which I don't give myself the opportunity to do very often. So were you watching musicals? Oh, I always have done. And yeah. I, I've, it's been, that that has been the, um, the benchmark for all of my life's experiences. It's been to the soundtracks of musical theatre. Hmm. Um, but there was one particular film that struck me as being important and that was listening to Joni Mitchell's version of Both Sides Now in the film Love Actually. Oh, that scene. Oh, that's because silly. Emma Thompson, of course, right, <laughs> yeah. She's emotion. her emotion is so raw and so, um, and for any of us who've gone through menopause and I did through COVID and that's three good solid years of yeah. finding out new and interesting patterns. It's a lot of fun, is it not? It was crazy. Um, so when I looked at her, I went, it's okay to release yourself of the burden of who you've been and simply just be who you are. Mm. And so I got in touch, as I said, with my friend before COVID, I'd had this plan to do an album where I could revisit songs of my choice, not necessarily all the hits, the good, bad and the ugly as well. And I asked him very poignantly, uh, pointedly, sorry, can you make them sound like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Can you make it like Sweet Charity? Can you get West Side Story in there? And perhaps just a dash of Sound of Music. And and I think he's gone and done it. <laughs> I love the dash of sound of music. I mean, <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> Some of my favourite things. They're the cake sprinkles on top. Let's get to the questions. You'd never know it, but I... 
you'd never know it, but I am an artist, like actual painter. Ah, I craft nerd. <laughs> uh, I I can't think of anything I'd I'd rather do than to sit and spend languid hours stitching, sewing, putting together, painting, creating something visual that's in a physical form. And um, I'll do it all with barely anything on but a kimono. Oh, that's <laughs> well. Of course, it's a, it's a traditional costume for a, for a painter <laughs> to wear a kimono. Um, what kind of painting do you do? Well, I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to think of myself as a folk artist because my my feel for things is very tactile. For instance, if I can mix media and add things of my life into the canvas or into the experience, in lockdown I, I had a lot of guitars that I purchased online and then I painted <laughs> them. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the people at home who were like, you know, weren't coming to concerts and in need of some art, they're not all musicians, but I said you can have art and be in the presence of music by putting this beautiful thing on your wall. And they all bought them and kept me alive. So thank you very much. Oh, how lovely. Isn't it amazing? You've you've spoken very movingly about just how, you know, deeply scarring lockdowns, plural, were, you know, for you, for your family, for your daughter in particular, I know. And uh, and we all saw that happening with our our young ones. Mm. You say it changed you. What did it change you from and to? I don't think I'm quite as giddy and is the term aspirant where it's like, <gasps> yeah. you know, I just got, I just, I got very serious all of a sudden and I suddenly realised um, the artist as an empath, you know, you stand on stage, you receive a lot of frequencies from people mm. and it's your earnest hope that you can alleviate the condition, either give them release through a love song or a sad song yeah. or a, you might invigorate them or give them a sense of celebration mm. with absolutely none of that at my disposal. I had nowhere to go but inside. So there you go. <laughs> Are you saying that it took away permanently some element of joy from you? Yeah. Mm. And and now now I find myself, you know, I'm I'm now rebuilding it in a physical sense. I find that I, I'm more determined to give proof of my existence. Like the the years before we sort of with cavalier like just throwing out experience and no one's captured it half of my life is not captured for yes. any reference because I wasn't <laughs> of that generation yeah that's right uh, and and you go oh but it doesn't matter because I was there and that's all that matters <laughs> well actually well no because if you can live and outlive yourself who you've been mm. over four decades you realise you've you've lived and died many times over to just to stay in that game. The fork in the road I almost took was? Well, the fork in the road was that I actually never planned to be a singer. I, I wanted to be a dancer. I know that sounds bizarre. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But you I did, you study dance as a young person? I did. I was a tap dancer oh. and I was a ballet dancer and, and a flamenco dancer and actually oh, quite nice. a good flamenco dancer if I do say myself. <laughs> um, however. Can you, can you still tap? I can do all of the above, you know, in, yeah. in lesser degree sure. of, of competence. But um my body just at the time that I wanted to really get into it just went like it, with the sounds of there was just elements of me just like, nah. I'm Did you notice I turned around for an yeah, audience there as if I was expecting the producers to laugh and applaud at they that one? They did. They laughed and no, look, look at <laughs> No, really, it's all good. Um, <laughs> it's just... Uh, I'm clearly just not enough of it. There needs I to was be three born of me for the here. stage. That's right. Yes, uh, but I actually wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be um, a sweet charity. I wanted to be Shirley MacLaine actually, 
And I figured um, yeah, that well. if I could sing and I was fairly good at that and if I could dance, I was moderately good at that and if I could act, then I could do everything and no one could put me in a box like mm. say she's a singer, she's a dancer, she's an actress. But instead I could just be everything. Well, you know, when you get to have a, a turn on stage in, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, right, you, you, you're kind of, you're almost oh, melding right. the two together, aren't you? That's true. Well, that's when the folk in the, the, the folk in the road, <laughs> the folk <laughs> in the road, uh, actually less of, a, the, less of a straight line and became a circle and we begin yeah. where we, we end where we begin and John Farnham, which by the way, we all know his, his wonderful film has just landed. Yes. And I know I'm not going to be able to see this movie on my own because I think it would just, it might just, you know, do me in. Mm. I, I've heard it's very moving and he goes into a very unknown story and it's very generational not to overshare those 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 parts of your life. <laughs> yes. We were born in the 60s and everything was like, like, let me show you the better side of me because it gives me room to improve. Mm. That's how we went mm. about it. If I were to show you that it hurts or I'm ailing or, or this is really troubling me, um, then, then that's a very different generation. That story is a very different one. So for him and the family to do this. To go that raw. Oh, yeah. it's private. That's actually, that's a very good framing of it generationally. It's true. That's it, it might not come off as so remarkable now, but for this generation of people, and I'm of the same generation, that is a step. That is a very... Deeply thought about step to take to go oh, there. Yeah, yeah. It, it can it can offend others greatly if you speak for them and on their behalf. Yeah, of that that's generation. true. Yeah, well, and I think you're seeing that actually with the reaction to, for example, you know Harry's autobiography. Oh yes, you know he's just simply speaking for himself and the offence that it's caused. Oof. How dare you tell your own truth? Oh. The younger generation looks at it and goes, well. Yeah, right. why? Why wouldn't he? Mm. So it's it's an amazing difference. Mm. I always. What do you? I always. Kate. Okay, good. So I did do a bit of. I'm homework. glad you did homework, Kate. She's <laughs> actually checking her notes. To well, make I sure have to because yes. you know you're you're so fast and and so smart, and I'm like, oh god, I'll forget. I'll look at you and look at those beautiful <laughs> eyes, and it's just going to evaporate. Uh -huh. well, first of all, just quite simply, I yeah. always make the bed before leaving the house. Yeah, that's I mean, a good one. I, but I all but I do it at at a point where it's actually quite ridiculous. I'll almost be late for planes. I'll I'll be late to stage. I'll almost be late to, for everywhere just to do it. And You're I do it in, back to do it, yes. And in hotel rooms as well. Oh, do you? That's ridiculous. So you I know it's stupid. No, I know, but I don't like the idea that someone else is going to have to walk into my mess and have mm. to make my bed metaphorically. Okay. So it's a bit strange, but no, that's no, what that I always do. No, no, that tells us something about you. <laughs> that's a nice one. I never? Okay. I never like to get free anythings. For instance, uh, I, I don't mind getting discounts and certainly with labels and other things, I'll do my very, very best. If a label has given me a discount, I use every opportunity to uh, tell who it was and and how I feel about yeah. it and how I feel in it. But free things burden me with a kind of obligation I can never pay. Mm. And then when people call back favours after the fact, then I'm like, well, why did you take it in the first place? You didn't need it. Mm. So, you know... Free anything, I think actually, even speaking metaphors, I don't actually think there is such a thing as anything for free. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm very It all comes wary. with consequences. Yeah. 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 I mean, we live, as you said, different generations. Yep. Influences survive off free everything. Sure. And it actually encourages and, and a whole other community to work mm. for the concept that they themselves, just as a physical fi fixture, could be enough exchange 
Me? Mm-mm. I'm from workers. <laughs> if someone's got to sit there and sew that thing, then then they've got to put it through a machine or they've got a textile design. You know, I'm not wearing that thing for free. Have you had unfortunate experiences where, you know, the, the, the gift has come calling for the payback? Embarrassingly, I've actually asked for things for free mm. and and have regretted it because I didn't love the fact that I had done that had for done that, the yes. designer or the artist that I'd asked it from. Yeah. Um, I'm putting myself up for a precedent here. No one's going to give me anything for free ever again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're going to appreciate the fact that that's not how you roll. I love the fact that the industry of Australia and its arts and culture, right, will require a lot more effort than it's getting right now Mm. to be seen on a global market in terms of like the fashion industry is booming for Australians. We've always had great actors representing the country. Not enough singers and artists, musicians in my opinion. I'm just saying. So True. we need to work a lot harder to love our own things and the stuff we make locally and support local. It was interesting listening to a bit of the album and it was actually your symphonic version of Pash. I mean, of course we fell yeah. for that. How could we not? And your voice sounds tremendous. I'm, oh. And I'm not blowing smoke here, but, you know, to the extent where I sat forward and going, listen, I mean, that is sounding good, like oh, really good. Does that take work? What takes work is having lived a life of singing for an other artist, and there are many in record companies and in your own family of of musicians with strong opinions. And as a big singer, and I come from the 60s. Yes. So I come from the Dusty Springfields, the Aretha Franklins, Roberta Flax and Nina Simone's, right? And then I moved into a decade in the last 20 years where a quieter, more intimate, introverted sound. Was very popular, yes. And I I tried it, but it was like holding back a storm. It just, you know, inside my heart was aching to make a lot of noise. Mm. And can you imagine having a band that's actually noisier than me now? It's like, wow, (laughs) this is an acoustic, this is a revelation. (laughs) It's what you needed all along, it turns out. Oh, well, of course, as it turns out, I just need to travel with a symphony. (laughs) What did that feel like? I mean, that must be a great moment where you stand up there in front of the MSO, the orchestra is all there in partnership with you but also to serve you as a singer. Do you have that kind of like, oh, how did I get here moment? Well, at my age, you know, you have to do a bit of homework, as I just showed you, (laughs) and kind of predict how that might feel when you get there. And all I have to do there is just stand still and don't Don't stuff it up, (laughs) is what she was saying. The time I got it terribly wrong was. Okay. Now, this is a story that is very private and and it's it's to my shame. It's the thing that sort of wakes me up in the night sometimes. Oh, dear. We all all have those, by the way. (laughs) I know. Well, this was for another person and it was on behalf of my mum who had managed me through almost the highest apex of my career at that stage for... Four platinum albums, uh, Quad Four Brave and the solo record. She was managing me, the first and only mm. woman in management in the country, as far as I understood. Um, terribly burdened by all of the labelling that would come from that someone's mother and don't put your daughter on the stage, Mrs Worthington, a very special person said to us once and, yeah. you know, very judged. And I got to England after... She had helped me get this enormous tour going. We were going to Paris. I had two bands travelling, 20 people we were travelling all across the world. And I uh, was doing two shows in London and the second night we were all a bit jet-lagged and we uh, 
we didn't wake her up for the second show. And we did, we as kids sort of went, nah, let's leave her sleeping. It wasn't done from me with malice, but it was the most malicious thing to do to a person who had done everything mm. to get us there. Mm. And we were such young, crazy kids with no sense of responsibility on that that I just, I find it just horrible did you to make, think about. Did you make amends? Oh, I've just, I, I, no, she's like, oh, it's all right. It's, no, I, I just, no amount of apologising can make up for doing <laughs> such a horrible thing to someone. And I, anyway, I, so I make it public today. There you go. Right? That, uh, so why don't we call this the atonement? Why don't we call this the absolution? <laughs> and you can leave it behind and close the door on it. Did you get that, Mum? <laughs> sorry. I reckon she probably did. Oh, we're such stupid kids. Yeah. Um, it's a small thing, small thing, but I'm still so proud that I... Well, I'm still so proud that when I met my husband um, and he has a great catch phrase that he said almost our entire life, which is, gosh, to think we nearly didn't do that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And <laughs> I feel that a lot of big things were propelled by my passion. He's a very pragmatic and, and quite a, a lovely, gentle, kind guy who wouldn't dream as big as me or want to own as much space as I do. But I've been that kid and he's like, come on, let's do it, come on, let's do it. <laughs> so it's a small thing but... Just to stay in the game as lovers, as friends, as people, and that 30 years later we're still together and and I feel it was it was a I could have let that go. We could have both have let that go mm. at any time in those early years. Really? Yep. Yeah. I went to go and live in New York, he went to live in LA. But no, I had a feeling about this relationship and us. And here, now that he's helping me, we are both producing this whole extravaganza. We are. He's my Baz Luhrmann to me, the Catherine Martin, and we are. We we are operating as, as a, a true partnership. Mm. That is that's fantastic. The final question today is my secret pleasure or my guilty pleasure. Yes, is, you can p- pick either one. Well, actually, I'd moved ahead from you, and I was trying to re- practice the song. <laughs> <laughs> Producers have come and landed me, and, and I was wondering. It was answer, a long time since when we heard the intro. Okay, my guilty pleasure. Here we go. Let's see. What did I say for my guilty pleasure? Midday movies. Yes. So my midday movies, which will range from, now I am a middle-aged gay man because look at this, oh, I'm all about Eve. <laughs> Fabulous. Fabulous. Ordinary the people. greatest films ever made. Indeed. Blade Runner, Sophie's Choice, West Side Story and Sweet Charity. And, you know, you can, that tells you so much about me mm. that um, I need say no more. I'm so glad you got all about Eve in there. Fantastic. Oh, it's been my go-to. Yes. It's like a master's in in. In public relations and humanity. It is. It's a it's a, a comfort watch, that one. Can you remember the tune if you don't know me? Maybe we need okay. to play it for you, you so you can so we and can then you say hello. I can hardly speak. My heart is beating so and anyone can tell. You think you know me well, but you don't know me. Oh, it's like having Lady Day in the studio. Oh, it is, isn't it? What a- You Don't Know Me is presented by me, Virginia Trioli. It's produced by Joe Sullivan and Jules Hay with audio production by Michael Black. Coming up next time, you don't become a national living treasure without making a few friends along the way. Pardon the expression, if somebody called you a wanker, you'd just say to them, you know, that's Mr Wanker to you. Ernie Dingo is my next guest on You Don't Know Me. 
Follow us now on the ABC Listen app so you don't miss a thing. And thanks for listening. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.